The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. If you're here in the northeast U.S. where I am, we're digging out from supposedly the blizzard of the century or the decade. Wasn't quite that bad, so I hope you're safe, warm, and dry wherever you are. Let's get started. The buzz today is IP security. Don't know what IP is? Come on, intellectual property. Think about it. Okay, here we go. Are market globalization and agile new competitors, you know who they are, are they turning away your customers' heads and wallets and taking business away from you? Well, here's a message, a reality check. If they're not doing it now... They probably will be soon. So the question on the table is, how will you survive? Well, you have to innovate. You know that. And you have to innovate sustainably. Lots of ways to do it. But the goal is to get your differentiated products to market by streamlining your operations, by collaborating, by sourcing, and by partnering globally. The key word here is globally. Sounds like a great plan, but guess what? It could have a downside. It just may expose your intellectual property to rampant IP theft. Yes, people are waiting out there to steal your ideas, your plans, your digital blueprints. They're just lurking in the shadows. So how do today's smart, successful companies protect their valuable innovations and keep innovating sustainably and safely. We have a great panel of experts, a lot of great ideas here, insights. Hopefully we'll come up with some answers for our listening audience, all of you listening around the world, and welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers, episode number 166, if you're keeping count. It's Wednesday, January 28, 2015. So let's get started introducing our panelists. First up is Andy Hahn. He's a Senior VP of Product Development at our friends at Next Labs. Glad to have Andy on board. And he is quoting Benjamin Franklin. I love to bring old-time smart people like Ben Franklin into a modern show like Coffee Break with Game Changers. The quote is, three may keep a secret if two of them are dead. Bada-boom. Andy Hahn, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you today? Good, good, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Love the Ben Franklin quote. I have a little poster I've had for years, Andy, on my wall. Actually, it's a drawing, and it says something similar. The best committee is made up of three as long as two of them don't show up. But Ben Franklin really nailed it when he said if two of them are dead. So talk to me, Andy. How does that apply to our topic today of IP security? Go ahead. Right. So I think one of the the key uh, uh, accelerators for businesses today is the ability to share information so, and, and in a lot of cases, these are your company's greatest secrets. So um, uh, I think one of the realistic perspectives companies need to have is that 
the more people you share this information with, the more likely that that information is uh, going to uh, leak out. So uh, really a, a, a critical approach is to look at the risk of sharing your information um, and uh, being willing to share it where appropriate, but being smart enough to know uh, with whom you should share it and prevent that type of, the type of sharing that really puts your uh, information at risk. And I think uh, the two of them are dead, you know, kind of take that uh, very uh, hardline security approach of, you know, let's not share our information and that, that way we can keep it safe. But that, uh, you know, takes it a little bit too far and, uh, you know, hinders our innovation. It sounds like the plot for a really interesting, scary movie, Andy. <laughs> yeah, we'll tell you what we're doing, but we're going to have to, you know what, kill you afterwards. Uh, going back to my intro, I talked about the, the way to sustainably innovate today is to collaborate, source, and partner globally. So there we have the three or many, many more at the table. And that's our challenge is how do you keep safe? Thank you, Andy. Good intro. And let's turn to our second panelist. Joining us today is Arnab Mukherjee, Senior Technical Lead, reporting to the IT Director for Enterprise Applications at Varian Medical Systems and welcoming Varian to the table. And Arnab is quoting George Bernard Shaw, another oldie but goodie, and the quote is, progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. Very profound. Arnab, welcome to Coffee Break Radio. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Delighted. So talk to me. Great show from G- great quote from GBS. So how does it apply to our topic? Okay. So uh, we find ourselves in quite a dynamic world where things are actually changing very fast. The, the advent of social media is big and every corner of the world is uh, so well connected and, and market trends change faster than, than we can even imagine. So it's quite a quantum leap from where we were, say, say 10 years back. So we often tend to get caught up in a in a state of mind where uh, we begin resisting to the changes that are happening way too fast around us, probably because we find that it's uh, it's tough to cope with it. So the the thing is, uh, the topic that we are going to talk about today, I mean, this kind of ties with the topic because, say, about 10 years back, this wasn't as much as a concern as it is today, uh, especially your IP security around all your important product data and the design data that you have in your organization. So the, the thing is you have to be able to adapt to these changes that are happening around you and do something on this front to stay ahead of the pack because if you don't, Somebody else uh, will move ahead of you, and you would find yourself irrelevant in today's scheme of things. Thank you, Arnab. Great addition to uh, what Andy started on the topic. Interesting, as I'm listening to you and Andy speak, and we'll introduce our third panelist in just a moment, I'm, I'm thinking that progress is impossible without change really applies to both levels. It applies to, as you said, Arnab, so well, you have to innovate to stay afloat, to stay alive, to succeed, to progress, to compete. That's a reality check today. But Progress is impossible without change. The change is also, on the second level, you have to be aware of the potential and reality of IP security threats and think about how to change your methods so that while you're progressing, you're also keeping your ideas safe. Do you agree that it's really a a two-level progress we're talking about here? Absolutely, Bonnie. So 
I'll, I'll kind of expand a little more uh, on on these angles as we kind of move forward a little more into the discussion. Thank you very much. Good, good, good. And let's bring on our third panelist. It's Mark Landroche, PLM and Visual Enterprise Solution Manager at SAP. And Mark has brought us a quote, woohoo, from Judas Priest. And I found a, a, a hashtag or a handle from Judas Priest. So hopefully we're going to attract, yes, it's, it's, uh, at Judas underscore Priest underscore FC. And they've got about 33 million followers. So we may be getting a lot of them listening to the show today. Thanks to Mark. Here's the quote. If you think I'll sit around as the world goes by, you're thinking like a fool because it's a case of do or die, dot, dot, dot. You've got another thing coming, Judas Priest. Mark Landrosh, welcome. Great quote. How are you today? I'm doing very good, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Delighted. Talk to us related to our topic, our big topic of sustainable innovation and IP security. Go ahead, Mark. Well, I think you left a a part of it out um, of the quote there. You know, it continues on. Out there is a fortune waiting to be had. You think I'd let it go. You're mad. You've got another thing coming. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, the way I kind of relate to this is that, you know, opportunity is an obvious driver for innovation. You know, you're not going to develop something unless you have a market for it. And, you know, along with uh, the opportunity for getting something to the market first, and, you know, getting a successful product out there, uh, you also have to be careful of what your competition wants. And it's the same thing that you want, which is that fortune that's out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world around, you know, IP protection, um, you know, obfuscating data, making it hard to crack, um, you know, uh, sharing things, uh, and, and so forth. And, you know, what we have to be concerned about from the product development community is that data theft. And those are the opportunities that our competitors are going to see. Um, you know, it may not be, you know, a, a forefront thing that they're, they're, they're going out and you know, maliciously attacking you, but they might see your data, your products at trade shows or, or whatnot, and take those ideas back and use them. So, you know, it's, it, it's all about, you know, what are the opportunities out there, how we protect them, uh, how we protect our ideas and so forth. Very important point, Mark. You brought up the idea of, of people just seeing what you're doing at a trade shows. And we used to have a series that may come back this year called uh, Startup Focus with Game Changers. And that is always a concern, especially for a startup where you, you want to enter the market, you want to conquer it big, you want to make your splash. And along the way, you have to bring people into the fold, right, Mark? You have to build a team, you have to get investors, and always that question of, who gets to see what's on the table, what you're thinking about, and what your brilliance is. Uh, another angle of this is when you're just putting a company together versus when you're out there and you realize you have to progress and change and think ahead of the pack. So good comments. Thank you very much, Mark. Let's go back to Andy Hahn. I have a question, a very important question. We ask all of our panelists here on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio, and it's very simply, what are you drinking, what's in your cup right now, or what do you wish you're drinking right after the show? So let's have a little storytelling from Andy Hahn at Next Labs. Go ahead, Andy. All right. Um, So uh, true to the name of the show, I am uh, drinking coffee, but this is a particular type of coffee uh, called, um, uh, it's called, uh, I spent a lot of my free time uh, riding my bike, and uh, I happen to be drinking a cycling-themed coffee. It's called, uh, it's, the brand is called 5311, which refers to uh, the gear ratios on, uh, on a bicycle when you're going as fast as you possibly can. 
So I'm drinking it out of a... Um, so I'm sitting here uh, looking out my window just outside of Boston at about uh, two and a half, close to three feet of snow, <laughs> um, oh which I spent all day yesterday shoveling. <laughs> and uh, uh, dreaming about riding my bike and drinking out of a, a coffee mug um, that I got last year when I was in California, sunny California, riding a, 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 a cycling ride called the Death Ride, which is a 130-mile uh, ride in the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains with about 15,000 feet of climbing. So I'm um, uh, sitting here drinking my cycling-themed coffee out of my uh, Death Ride mug, uh, dreaming uh, about uh, getting on my bike while looking at you know close to three feet of snow. You certainly know how to spin a story, Andy, on, wow, never heard of That's quite a combination of thoughts there, bike riding for your life and the, yes, and the death and all that. Well, I'm glad you made it. And by the way, you got the snow that we didn't get here on Long Island. So I'm sorry we sent it north, but that's the way the snow falls. So there you go. We ended up with about eight or nine inches, and it's a gorgeous day, and everybody's driving, and the sidewalks are clear. Yes, it's all snowy outside, but, but you really got the brunt of it. So be safe and careful on the shoveling there. You know the rules. Thank you. Arnav Mukherjee at Varian Medical Systems. Where are you calling from and what's in your cup, Arnav? Okay. I'm calling from Palo Alto, California, and it's it's about 8 a.m. in the morning. And what I have in my cup is green tea flavored with uh, lemongrass and spearmint. And, and drinking green tea is a habit that I caught on to about six years back. And there's a funny story around it and as to how I got hooked on to this. So... I used to be a, a touch hefty back in those days. Uh, I used to be a 190 pounder, and I was doing these heavy workouts in order to shed some weight. And, and you, I used to have people throwing all these remedies at me as to how to accelerate the weight loss. So, so it so happened that over the period, over a period of a year, I, I I shed about 25 pounds. Now. I don't know whether it's attributable to the the workout or the green tea or both. Uh, somehow uh, it had a psychological impact on me, and uh, somehow the habit just stuck. So uh, I have these tea bags that are kind of stacked up at my desk, and I make sure I have green tea at least twice a day. So that's what it is. That's a lovely story. Mark Landroche. Mark, I hate to do this to you, but can you top either or both of these? It's not a competition, but damn, we really have some good stuff from Andy and Arnab so far. Mark Landroche, where are you calling from and what are you drinking? Whatever. Hi, Bonnie. I'm uh, from Chicago, uh, out in the burbs, and uh, not enjoying uh, any snow, which is probably good. It's, it's, it's cold here. And I'm trying to stay warm with a, a cup of Singaporean coffee. And, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with that particular drink, no. it is a coffee derivative. Um, I was in Singapore uh, a few weeks back for a uh, teaching engagement, uh, working with some of our solution engineers. And I stopped uh, early morning at a coffee shop, and, you know, I wanted to get something before going into the office. And... I went up and I, I, I asked the, the nice lady for a, a cup of coffee. And you know, I, I watched her as she was pouring it out of this, it looked like a, a watering can, you know, one of those real long necks, mm. real long spouts, uh, pouring it into a cup. And I said, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting how they, how they brew it here. And then she hands it to me, and I typically take my coffee black, uh, you know, a little bit healthier, no sugar, no cream. Mm. And this was... Uh, obviously had cream in it, right? and uh, I was kind of surprised I didn't see her put 
anything into it. But when I uh, took a sip of it, it was was it was sweet. Um, it wasn't overbearingly sweet like what you might get at some of the coffee shops here, uh, you know, like a, a macchiato or whatnot. But it was a very good coffee, uh, nonetheless. And when I asked one of the uh, expats that's over in Singapore that I work with mm-hmm. about it, he told me that um, when you order a coffee here, the standard is uh, to get a roast, um, a bean that's actually been roasted with butter and sugar. I think he said uh, banana leaves uh, wow. or, or margarine. So it's, it's, a, it's a very sweet roast. And when they, you know, grind it up to almost a powder consistency, uh, they'll put it into a, uh, like a sock or a, or a nylon or some sort of filter inside of that giant coffee pot, uh, and they'll put the hot water in, and then you'll see a nice long pour from the uh, from the pot to the cup, and uh, you'll get you know a traditionally uh, very sweet uh, coffee. Um, my wife and I are both very big coffee drinkers, very big fans of coffee. We try to get it from different areas when I'm traveling, and uh, I brought her home uh, some instant coffee from Singapore, and that's what I'm enjoying this morning in my monkey mug. Very nice. How do you spell that coffee? It sounds like there's an interesting spelling there. Can you do that for us? Um, I believe it is uh, K-A-H-P-I, possibly. I'm not sure. It's just, it's just how it's pronounced. It's pronounced coffee, but you know it's a derivative of, of coffee. Um, from what I understand, well, the beans that they had gotten in that area were of lower quality, and they tried to uh, uh, spice them up or you know uh, enhance them years back by this uh, special uh, roasting process. Sounds exciting. I like that a lot. Well, you certainly did. I don't know if you topped it, but the three of you certainly have uh, brought some amazing stories to the table, and I thank you very much. We have a note here on Twitter from Malcolm Kimberlin, who's at SAP, who says, Phil's Coffee has me going at full speed, and I ain't got no breaks. Woo-hoo. I think that's a little bit of his own version of Judas Priest. There you go, Mark. You know Malcolm. Uh, wow. Wow. Uh, off to a great start today. I have to do a quick shout-out to two ladies from Next Labs. They are colleagues of, let's see, they're colleagues of Andy Hans, and uh, they are Tiffany Fan, Tiffany Fan. Yes, she's got her Twitter handle with her uh, first letter of her first and last name interspur- or changed. So it's Tiffany Fan and Catherine Zhang. They are tweeting on hashtag SAP Radio and capturing words of wisdom from our panelists joining Malcolm Kimberlin there today. Thank you all. Guess what? We're going to go to take a break, give Andy, Arneb, and Mark a chance to take a sip of whatever wonderful drink they're drinking, and thanks for the great stories. We're going to be right back after the break with much more. Our topic today is Globalization Challenge, Sustainable Innovation, secure collaboration and to distill it all down we're talking about protecting your intellect intellectual property ip security that's what's on the table today so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back in 90 seconds with a 30 minute round table you don't want to miss this one Brad out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. 
By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back, and we're ready for our rock and rollin' roundtable here. Our topic today is globalization challenge, sustainable innovation, secure collaboration, and just let's shortcut it down to IP security. Andy Hahn at Next Labs is up first on the roundtable. Andy, I told you during the break I was going to start with your notes on speed is the key to innovation, but I changed my mind in the 10 seconds since we spoke off air. And here's where I would like to come in. Let's, let's dive right past innovation into security. You say very profoundly, One of the fallacies of security is that insiders are more trustworthy than outsiders. Yes, most of the damage in any security breach is from insiders. I don't know if anybody's shocked, but I'm a little surprised. So, Andy, let's just dive in. Why don't you talk to us for a couple minutes, and then we will invite Arneb and Mark to come and see if they agree or disagree. Andy Hahn, go ahead. Yeah, I I think that um, one of the things as we're working with uh, a number of our customers uh, one of the key challenges that they're trying to address is uh, the risk posed by by insiders. This could be, you know, employees of the company. Uh, this could be, uh, you know, your partners, uh, your suppliers. So really, these are these are folks who you uh, that that you trust uh, in an official way. You you have a relationship mm-hmm. with, and you trust. And um, I think one of the challenges. So they, they actually have access to your information, um, and, and they're authorized to have access to it. But one of the and one of the one of the things that we see, however, is that uh, most of the major IP thefts actually come from uh, insiders. These could be uh, employees who are or who are stealing your data. This could be your partners, or your suppliers who are uh, maybe mishandling or inappropriately sharing your information. And um, I, I think that's a big challenge for security because traditionally uh, most security models are based on the concept of there being a, a you know a, a perimeter or a firewall. And if we have good walls, we have good security. But uh, really, the uh, the walls really are becoming really really irrelevant because the risk is actually inside your walls. So um, so I think one of the more um, uh, forward, forward-looking security models that are, is being advocated are, are these kind of zero-trust uh, security models where mm. we treat insiders and outsiders uh, the same. So we're, we're uh, uh, authenticating and authorizing 
uh, all users, whether they're insiders or outsiders, we're applying the same security controls to both insiders and outsiders uh, the same way, so we don't distinguish between the two. Fascinating. Zero trust. You know, that goes against everything we hear when we do shows about leadership. Trust your managers, trust your colleagues, work together, collaborate, play nicely. And now we're talking about the big stuff on the table, protecting your ideas. Arnab Mukherjee, such a provocative topic. Please join us. What do you think about what Andy said? Agree? Disagree? Okay, so I would like to kind of uh, give another perspective on this. So, mm-hmm. so, so the, the, the thing here is that often what happens is people don't necessarily willfully disburse the information here and there, but it, but it happens unknowingly because people are not aware of, uh, of all, the, all these things that we are talking about with regards to IP security. I mean, uh, one thing is often you see that people have more people have access to the information within an organization than actually the people who need to have. And people often share data uh, by unsecure means. I mean, I mean, more or less, I mean, more often than not, we find ourselves sharing drawings. I mean, we, we see people sharing drawings over email with their suppliers, which is, which is not a very secure way to do it. Or people leave their laptops open in an environment and walk off. And then have their mobile phones unlocked lying somewhere. So, so the thing is, people need to be educated that they need to do their bit to ensure that the intellectual property of the organization is protected. So, there has to be some sort of an awareness created amongst everybody. Now, uh, the, the, the thing here is that this wasn't as relevant. Uh, a topic probably 10 years back, but, but now it is. So, so everybody needs to do their bit within an organization to ensure that, that accidentally some sort of a, uh, IP doesn't get compromised on account of some action of theirs. So, so more often than not, it could be something that happens unknowingly or accidentally than somebody actually doing it willfully. Interesting. Mark, third on our panel. Agree, disagree? We've got a couple flavors of how insiders could be compromising your data security. What do you observe, Mark Landrush? Yeah, I, I completely agree with uh, the, the comments made. Um, you know, if, if you look at some of the things that have happened in the recent past, I mean, when the Sony pictures uh, break in, you know, uh, some of the reports coming out about that are that there was some insider help. You know, obviously, you got to know where the data is at. You got to know the insides uh, of the network and, and where things are at. So there's there's obviously the uh, the internal worries that you've got somebody who's providing information to the outside. Um, and how do you protect that? Well, I, I think uh, you know the zero trust uh, you know approach is something that can help mitigate that. Uh, with respect to accidental uh, release of uh, data, yeah, I, I, I've seen. Throughout my travels, all different ways of sharing data, you know, putting things on, you know, thumb drives, emailing, mm-hmm. uh, posting to FTP sites, you know, password equals password. That, you know, some, a lot of people are using. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, God. the accidental release of information is, is, is a huge problem as well. And imagine with the Internet of Things coming on us, you know, we're you know, marching into this age of Aquarius where everything's going to be talking to each other and our, you know, our fridge may be telling our television set something that it shouldn't be. And, you know, that type of data, especially coming from inside of organizations, 
needs to be locked down, um, needs to be monitored somehow, needs to be uh, taken care of. If you've got signals going from one device to another across the public Internet, you know, we're going to have to be careful mm-hmm. about what that type of data is and who knows about it. And who knows, we might have, uh, we might have you know, sensor viruses out on a shop floor somehow infecting and, you know, hacking their way through different networks. So completely agree with what everybody's saying. That's right. M2M does pose new opportunities for threats. Mark, I have to bring in here very briefly, you mentioned two additional quotes beyond your Judas Priest quote earlier. You you sent me the following, I do, and loose lips sink ships. You want to take just 10 seconds to tell us how these relate to the topic? Because I think we're, we're covering that right now, loose lips sink ships. People talking, talking, talking to the wrong people, people, people who have ideas, ideas, ideas. Is that what the loose lips refers to in terms yeah, of security? Exactly. I mean, that's something that my mother used to say. Um, uh, when I was a kid, you know, she had grown up through uh, World War II, and, um, you know, that was one of the things that went around. And it had to do with, you know, when you're on the port uh, coast, you know, don't talk about when a ship's leaving port uh, because you don't know who's around. Uh, you don't know what type of information they're feeding to the enemy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that absolutely applies as well to this, uh, to this topic. You know, if you don't know what company you're in, don't talk about it. You don't know who's around you. Don't talk about it. And, you know, Bonnie, you know, within SAP, we've got a lot of that uh, training that goes on as well. Um, yes. Making sure was, that, uh, you know, we have the human was, firewall in place. So exactly. I think it's very applicable to this uh, this conversation. I was thinking about exactly that when, when I was uh, asking you the question, Mark. And one more thing. You gave the quote, I do, which we often say at the altar. How does that relate to security? Well, uh, you got to make a promise when you take a job that you're not going to sabotage the company. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, that also applies to marriage. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to do anything that's going to uh, uh, affect your significant other. And you know, that's something that uh, hopefully all of us, you know, take a real uh, strong stand it's, on. Um, it's called well, honor. I think it should go from I do to I won't. I think that's the new that's the new vow. I won't. I think that's going to be uh, maybe that'll come into favor. Hey, I have a new side business here, rewriting vows for. Okay, let's move on. Great conversation, Andy. Before I move on to some notes from Arnab Mukherjee, uh, do you have Edvarian Medical? Do you have anything you want to say wrapping up this part of our discussion, Andy Hahn? Oh uh, yeah, I think uh, kind of uh, following on uh, some of the last statements and the analogy to marriage. I, I think one of the major challenges today is to build any um, you know uh, high tech or innovative product today. Companies need to work with you know tens, hundreds, potentially thousands of of suppliers and partners to to um, to actually build these products and and to do that. They need to share share this information or share some amount of information. Uh, ideally, they're sharing the minimum amount required. Um, so I think that one of the you know I think the the analogy to marriage I think makes sense when we're talking about an employee um, you know making uh, a promise to their employer. Uh, but I think one of the challenges is uh, with with intellectual property and this data is we need to share it with. You know, thousands of people, maybe potentially across hundreds of companies, um, it's really very difficult to, you know, uh, get the same level of commitment from all those parties. Good, good points. I'm going to move on a little bit to a a slightly different avenue into our topic today, Arnab, at 
Varian Medical. All right, Amber, I'm looking at your notes, some good stuff here. And let's talk about more avenues where we have a problem keeping information secure. You told me, let's talk about engineering design. I know that's your forte. You say, in a typical engineering design project, the reality of collaborating globally across sites, across geographies, combined with security concerns, creates a compelling need for a single product data management system for your mechanical and electrical CAD needs. And then you add on to that, you say, having things spread all over the place where you aren't even sure if the data is protected poses a huge IP security risk. So let's talk about the reality, not just of people talking to people and people leaking stuff inadvertently, loose lips and and loose security systems and emails and internet, but where you store the stuff. Let's look inside. Typical engineering design. Why don't you elaborate for us, Arnab, please? Uh, Okay. So, uh, so... The what we are looking to achieve at the end of the day, what I mean, in, if you are in the discrete manufacturing industry, is mm-hmm. is to innovate fast and get your product out to the market before your competitors do. So that's the ultimate goal. Now, it was possible back in the days that you could have people working at different sites in silos, doing their own bit of work, where where the need for exchanging information amongst groups within the organization or sites within the organization or the need for a collaboration was was lesser. But with the buzzword being go global, you're actually looking at global competition. So you need to be able to collaborate and you need to be able to collaborate fast. And you need to be able to collaborate securely as well. So the the problem most organizations have is they have their engineering folks spread across the globe managing their product data on different platforms and different product data management platforms and often what happens is the the sites or the groups more or less work uh, in silos and they're cut off from each other and any kind of information exchange happens in in some sort of an unsecure fashion. It could be emails, it could be putting it on a network folder, or things like that. Now, one thing is it slows down the process. The second thing is it makes things unsecure, and it makes things liable to be open for IP theft. So the idea here is to see how you can get everybody on a common product data management platform that is more or less CAD agnostic. And Mm -hmm. generally, these kind of product data management platforms have some sort of authorizations that get built into it that where you can define based on job roles who sees what. So Mm -hmm. that way, you're able to protect the data internally. The The second problem with having things spread across uh, in different places, in different platforms, is that often it's very difficult to quantify what lies where unless you spend a lot of time looking at it. And it's, it's not really possible to, I mean, if you have, say, 15 to 20 different avenues of managing your product data, it's very difficult to say what is secure and what is not. So the idea is to get everything on a single platform and and put in your energy, time, money, resources into protecting that one single platform, which is much easier and than, than looking to kind of protect different avenues in different places. So that's essentially something that we have worked towards 
over here over the period of the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Arnab. Mark Landrush, there's a lot of meat on the bones, what uh, Arnab just shared with us. Thoughts from you? And if you want to bring in some ideas from, I'm looking at your notes. I, I don't want to jump the gun here, but you talk about a 50-terabyte blueprint theft of the F-35 Joint Strike fighter plans. That was a mouthful. Mark, you want to tie that in? Does that apply to what Arnab was just discussing? Yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, the Joint Strike Fighter, you know, security probably was a little bit tighter than uh, what we're going to see in our typical organization. But uh, Arnav is absolutely correct. You know, we, we've, we've got to have everything in one system. Um, we've got to have the connections between the different systems that, that, that execute the, the product development process. We have to have those tight. Um, you know, I've, I've run into customers that... Uh, specifically say, you know, what can we do with this data to protect it? Because we need to manufacture it somewhere overseas in a country that possibly not that uh, friendly to, to IP laws. Um, how do we secure it? And, and a, lot of, a lot of times it's by not sending it. Uh, mm. when, what that does is it brings uh, extra work uh, to the people here in the States, which is, you know, obviously good for the economy, but um, it's you know it hinders you know, the innovation process or the, the manufacturing process, and a lot of times what they're doing is they're doing all the product development here, they're doing all the planning here, and just pushing out the execution steps uh, to their foreign factories. Not very efficient because they're not there live with the folks, seeing how they work, how the lines are set up, understanding the cultures, and so forth. Um, so, you know, distributed manufacturing uh, and distributed uh, innovation, you know, obviously is a big challenge. But, you know, some of the things that you can put in place definitely do help. Uh, with respect to the Joint Strike Fighter, yeah, that's, um, that's a pretty interesting one. Uh, you know, and this is going back way to, I, I think, 2007, 2008, uh, when they first noted uh, some interesting uh, pieces of data being looked at in, in, in the systems. Um, and originally, you know, the government had only reported that there was maybe five terabytes of data. And just saying that it was only five terabytes of data, you know, the folks on the phone here know how much engineering data that can be. You know, if you're looking at uh, aircraft, if you're looking at tractors, oil rigs, you can definitely fit multiple, multiple um, pieces of equipment into that five terabytes of data. Um, and then recently we had our, our, our buddy Snowden uh, report or leak out that uh, that is at probably actually more upwards of, you know, 50 terabytes of data th- uh, that have been stolen. So um, what does that mean? That means that, you know, even with their most sophisticated systems, there is going to be some sort of break-in, some sort of intrusion that's going to take data. And, you know, we could tie that all back saying, uh, if you think I let it go, you're mad. They want it bad enough, they'll find a way to get it. All good points. Thank you. Andy Hahn, join us. A lot of provocative thoughts on the table here. Talk to me. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the points that uh, uh, Arna brought up that is is really critical and something that I see uh, customers uh, struggling with often is is that challenge of really identifying what data is valuable. Um, so we, you know, some, we call this the data classification problem. So I think actually one of the challenges of securing your IP is actually 
even just identifying what what data that you have is important and I, and you know bringing it into a system where you have a common classification structure or classification scheme is is really the is is the best practice but um, uh, you know I, I think if we for many organizations today at least they jump ahead to wanting to protect their IP uh, but what they find when they embark on a project like that is they really aren't even ready to do that because they're not even sure what data they have is 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 really valuable yet. Um, so uh, so we uh, we always advise customers to think about walking before they run, which is first let's identify what what data you have that's valuable. Um, identify you know what are the you know how it needs to be shared. Uh, then we can really talk about how to control it and how to protect it. Um, uh, if we just focus on protecting it, uh, I think you uh, uh, teams often will run into the problem of you know protecting everything is uh, actually slows companies down more than more than speeding them up and can hurt your innovation. Thank you very much, Andy. Mark, I'm ready to look at some of your talking points here, some interesting comments that I don't think we brought up exactly yet. Uh, let's talk about the forms of IP theft, and then let's talk about who the hackers are and why they do it. So let's approach this from a couple of different angles. You say IP theft comes in all forms, digital or physical, corporate or vigilante. I want to know about that one, 2D or 3D. Mark Landrosh, why don't you explain for us, please? Well, you know, when I'm talking about you know, corporate or vigilante acts, you know, when we're talking about corporate, that's, you know, your, your traditional IP theft. Hey, I like your design. I'm going to, you know, find out about it. I'm going to, you know, try to, to incorporate some of your pieces of, of, of your ideas into my new products I'm going to be rolling out. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, it might be as simple as seeing those features uh, displayed at a trade show or shown online during a product demonstration, uh, or it could be a, a lot more malicious when it comes to, uh, you know, actually hacking into somebody's system and acquiring that data and, and, and using it to improve your own product. Now, you know, the more vigilante side of things is kind of what we saw with Sony Entertainment again. You know, a group of so-called do-gooders, you know, hacking in and saying, you know, this is what Sony's doing, let's expose all the things that they're saying internally and so forth. Um, and they're doing it for the greater good of, you know, protecting you know, maybe somebody's name uh, in politics or, or, or whatnot, you know. But, you know, that's what I'm talking about when we talk about vigilanteism uh, within uh, the IP world. Um, the different forms of IP theft, you know, obviously when we talk about designs, you know, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, you know, design theft would have to be done by, you know, breaking into somebody's uh, uh engineering department going through their engineering drawings taking their designs uh, or you know standing by the fax machines and catching designs as they come across because that's how we communicated back then a little bit harder to do so a lot of the the ip theft was was done by grabbing uh competitors products and breaking them down and reverse engineering them um we've got a customer that uh is in the uh mining industry uh they manufacture uh, underground mining equipment and uh, I remember talking to one of the engineering managers there, and he said, yeah, we went to a trade show uh, over in China, and we walked by a competitor's booth, and we saw our product in their booth. And mm. it was sitting next to their knockoff. So basically Ooh. what they were doing is, you know, they not only procured a piece of our equipment, they tore it down, used it to reverse engineer it, 
put it back together, and all, they're, now they're using it for marketing materials. So they're showing it on stage along with their products, which is going to be competing against them. So there's the, you know, the physical um, theft of drawings, of, of designs, and so forth. Um, but then there's also the electronic theft. And that can come in the form of stealing the, the, you know, the 3D engineering representations, stealing test data, you know, performance data, how did this design work, um, what are its flaws maybe, and uh, those can be used maliciously. Uh, you know, maybe you know, setting up a smear campaign against a uh, competition, saying, "Hey, this is why their products don't work as well as ours." And then there's um, also the theft—not so much of the engineering data, but the financial data uh, from a company. You know, who their customers are, where their revenues are, what's their business plan for the next five years, what markets are they going to attack as well? And you know, competition is grabbing that information as well, seeing where you're going and trying to launch the same uh, marketing schemes or get to that particular uh, segment of the world before you do. So there's all different types of uh, intellectual uh, theft that can occur. And, again, you know, it's just a matter of locking it down. And I I really love the the whole zero trust thing. Um, I was an IT manager uh, many years ago, and, you know, that's one of the concepts that – uh, we instilled was that we lock everything down for the end users, and if they need access to it, they have to have a pretty good reason, uh, explanation of why they need access to it. So, um, you know, different types of uh, IP theft, different, um, you know, reasons for doing it, you know, it, it, it all depends on uh, who's trying to get to the data. Thank you, Mark. I'm looking at your notes. You also mentioned test data, warranty data. When you mentioned Sony, of course, we know they exposed a lot of internal, not for public eyes, not for the spotlight, internal emails, and I would call that reputation-damaging data. Did they really not like, uh, what's his name's goofy movies? Uh, yes, I can't remember his name. <laughs> the Wedding Singer, what's his name? Yes, anyway, very, very interesting. Andy Hahn, join in. What do you think about what Mark Lindros just contributed in terms of the types of data the hackers are targeting? Thoughts? Oh, yeah, I, the uh, certainly um, uh, the the variety of data formats uh, has, has uh you know, it's certainly grown, and, and one of the things that um, uh, many customers struggle with today is a lot of the security products today uh, out there are really focused on, you know, the kind of the most common uh, forms of data, so, you know, office documents, PDF files, that type of thing. And one of the, one of the challenges uh, in engineering is that engineering data types are much, much more sophisticated you know, there's 3D, 3D data. There's uh, CAD, CAD data. There's uh, you know data for your electronic designs, and um, there's really a, a shortage of of security uh, technologies that apply to these more sophisticated data types. So I think uh, we're you know we're seeing a lot of demand from uh, from different customers looking for. Uh, advanced technologies to help protect some of these really sophisticated uh, data formats, uh, especially when you get into uh, some of the new additive manufacturing techniques with 3D printing, for example. So, so now I can steal your data and literally send it to a printer and print out your product. Um, so, you know, things are are changing quite a bit in the manufacturing space as well. 
They really are. Thank you. And Arnab, I want to get you in here before we go to, we're going to skip the break, by the way, gentlemen, you're doing so much to talk about. I don't want to stop this, stop this party. Um, Arnab, thoughts oh. about anything in the very in medical, anything in the medical side? We're talking about mostly engineering, but anything, uh, anything in medical side you want to talk about briefly? Uh, so, so, so typically, I mean, uh, in the medical device industry, we are also pretty much uh, involved with the whole engineering side of it because that is an important mm-hmm. aspect. So, so essentially, what you essentially what's generally targeted uh, is is the 3D stuff because it's it's very easy to look at the 3D stuff and then kind of uh, reverse engineer from there. So. So generally, what's targeted would be the 3D or your design drawings. But 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 I mean, Mark and Andy kind of triggered a, a different thought process in my mind, uh, and it's it's more related to I mean because I I haven't been thinking about it. I mean, whatever I have been uh, running through my mind has pretty much been engineering centric. But it's it's not just that. I mean, we we have a lot of other information such as our manufacturing instructions, our any our sequence of events and things like that. So I mean all that is actually valuable information at the end of the day so which which needs to be protected so uh, it's 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 i mean even though the discussion has been centric to uh, what we call as product data or engineering data but the scope of this discussion is indeed much larger than than merely protecting engineering data ip theft can can occur in any space i mean it could be any data so uh, those are like my thoughts Thank you very much. I like your thoughts, and I like the way this is going, and I have to interrupt a little bit because we are now at about eight minutes till the end of the show, and that means it's time for the Crystal Ball Prediction Segment. Uh, To my audience, I ask my panelists not to tell me in advance what they're going to predict because they may just be making it up on the fly based on this conversation. There might be some inspiring thoughts that have come to their minds during this roundtable. So let's see what Andy Hahn has. Andy, why don't you take exactly two minutes for your closing remarks and your predictions. Let's fast forward. I like the year 2020 because everybody says 2020. Hindsight is 2020, blah, blah, blah. If you can see a different time in your crystal ball, tell me what it is. So let's talk about the IP security challenge in terms of sustainable innovation and globalization for companies across the board. Andy Hahn, Next Labs, two minutes, predictions, go. Yeah, in uh, 2020, uh, I think with the... Uh, the rapid adoption of uh, cloud-based uh, software, software as a service, and and personal mobile devices. Uh, one of the one of the big challenges is going to be that uh, our data no longer exi- uh, is managed uh, within applications or on systems or on devices that the companies own themselves. So now that data is sitting in the cloud, managed by a third party. It's sitting on my uh, employees' personal computers. So the shift is going to be from uh, protecting my enterprise, my systems, my applications, to applying protection to the data itself. So in 2020, I predict we'll see that the data itself will be self-protecting, um, and that data will be able to make the decisions about who can access, who can access it and how they can use it. Um, uh, no matter where it resides, no matter what system, no matter what device. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Good insights. And let's turn to Arnab Mukherjee at Varian Medical. Arnab, how far in the future can you see, and what do you predict for this topic? Okay. So, 
So the topic's still going to be very much relevant, but the way I see it is most organizations would have done something on this front to protect their intellectual property. So you can see, I mean, there are two aspects to it. So they, they would have done something to encrypt the data when it's in storage and encrypt the data while it's in motion. So everybody would have a mechanism or a means by which they would address this concern. But, but kind of going forward a little bit, a little bit on the secure collaboration side of it. On uh, so the, I mean, the direction that we are moving in is is more in the direction of what we call as virtualization, where what will happen is you would have a centrally located server which would uh, more or less be very well secured and protected within the firewalls of your data center with with all the encryption and things in place and 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 people wouldn't actually have to do any kind of engineering design work on their on their machines or desktops or laptops rather they would use some sort of a thin client to log into those centralized servers to do all their product design work so that way you're able to ensure that you make the whole collaboration effort a lot more secure than it is today. Thank you very much. And let's turn to Mark Landros. We're probably going to have a little extra time for a bonus round here, the way it's going, Mark Landros. Predictions, how far in the future can you see clearly, Mark? Well, Bonnie, if you look at my uh, calendar, I, I, I normally can't see out past a week, but uh, for the sake of our listeners, I'll take a shot at it. Thank you. Um, you know, you know what, what the gentleman have already said as far as, you know, uh, protecting the data, um, you know, encrypting the data uh, itself uh, while it's stationary or while it's in, in motion, I think that's going to be um, almost taken for granted. I think, you know, five years from now, I think that that's, you know, uh, something that's going to be standard. And, you know, I, I think Andy's going to hope that it's going to be standard for, you know, for the benefits of next uh uh, benefits for uh, next labs, uh, you know, because that's their that's their uh, wheelhouse. Now, as far as you know, other types of um, you know uh, things we might see in the future, I'm probably a little bit more concerned about the Internet of Things. Uh, we're going to have a ton mm -hmm. of devices out there. You know, I think yes. they're saying there's you know five billion devices. Uh, by 2020 or 50 billion, something like that. I, I don't remember the exact number. Um, those are where the data is going to be, and that's where it's going to be traveling to and from to tie in what uh, uh, what the other gentlemen have already said. So, you know, some uh, polls have recently gone out to um, CIOs, and they're reporting that they think the security uh, on the Internet of uh, Things or uh, the security on devices is going to lag you know, six to 12 months behind uh, those devices. So I think by 2020, you know, the data security probably should be standard. Uh, it should be taken for granted. But we're going to have to start worrying about where the data is residing and where it's coming from and how it's being transported. And I think that's, uh, you know, where some of the specialists have the opportunity to step in and provide solutions and, you know, make sure that, these communication protocols are protected. Make sure that these devices are protected. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll have a private Internet of Things versus a public Internet of Things mm -hmm. for transmitting data. 
Very interesting. Thank you. And later today on our series called Internet of Things with Game Changers, Mark, coincidentally, we're talking about IoT and wearables. And one of the topics we're going to cover with our panel today is data security. Do you really want transmission of your body traits, your physical, deep physical attributes to some machine or to some system and you don't know where it's going and who's going to use it? A lot of interesting questions about privacy. Uh, we have, let's see, we have about a minute and a half left. I'm just going to throw in a couple more thoughts here. We don't have time for a bonus round, but Mark, I'm looking at your notes and a couple of things stand out that I don't think we said exactly. Why do the hackers do it? Who benefits? It all depends. You say hackers do it for fame, okay, companies do it for profit, and countries do it in the name of defense. I think that's a crocheable moment, Mark Landros. Somebody needs to put that on a pillow or on the side of a building. And one more thing you brought up is you said location, location, location just doesn't apply to real estate. It applies to IP. And one more comment you told me, you said the most elaborate security I have seen is in automotive, not military, but even that is not extreme. So we're going to leave those thoughts on the table. Maybe we'll do a part two on the top. I want to thank my three panelists. I'll talk to you in just a second, but I have my own predictions coming up, and they're coming up starting next week. We're launching five new mini-series here on Coffee Break Radio. Starting next week, we'll be opening a new series called Digital World with Game Changers, including UX, interesting topics. The week after, we launch Transforming Your Business with Game Changers. The week after that, we launch Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. The week after that, we launch Business Innovation with Game Changers. And finally, on Tuesday, March 3rd, we launch Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. Woo-woo. So now I can thank Andy Hahn at Next Labs, along with Catherine and Catherine Zhang and Tiffany Fan, our tweeters. Thank you so much. Arnam Mukherjee at Varian Medical Systems and Mark Landros at SAP. Great thought leaders, great panelists. I really appreciate your sharing so much great information. And let's see, a shout out, of course, I did to Tiffany and Catherine, Brad Comer and our business channel team, and Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Later today, I'll be back with Internet of Things with Game Changers here on the business channel, 3 p.m. Eastern. You don't want to miss the wearables topic. Here we go. Call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Have a great week.